chapter 12. I did skip ahead a little bit. In a couple weeks, I'm going to cover 11. 11, thank you so much, Carl. 11 covers um, communion, and we'll begin communion in a couple weeks. And so um, the second half of 10 that I skipped out on a little bit was um, stuff that, that Paul was kind of covering in the moreover. So wanted to keep moving. We've been taking a little bit longer um, to get through 1 Corinthians than I had originally wanted to. So today, um, today we're going to pick up in a section of... 1 Corinthians that deals with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, gifts. Okay, now ask him, what'd you bring me? What gift did you bring me today? Well, good news, if your neighbor forgot to bring you a gift today, the Holy Spirit has gifts for us. Genesis, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 is where we're going to camp for a couple weeks. Chapter 12 is about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 13 Look at the last verse of chapter 12, if you will. We'll start there. And it says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is 1 Corinthians 13. We know this as the Bible scholars, the love chapter. And so Paul is going to talk about all these amazing gifts that God gives us. But if they're not manifested in our lives and as Christians, if, if, if these gifts that God give us, if they don't make us more loving, if they don't manifest themselves in a way where we care genuinely about people, then we're like sounding symbols and clashing symbols. I should go bang on Josh's drums to, for illustration. And then he says that, that all of these things, listen, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, which are kind of two separate categories. Today we're focused on mainly on the gifts. I want to touch on the fruit because it's something we need to understand. But then in chapter 14... Paul's going to go right back to the gifts of the Spirit, specifically in chapter 14. He's going to talk about speaking in tongues because it's one of the gifts that has a lot of confusion around it. And so Paul wanted to clear it up. And in 14, where we'll be in a few weeks, we're going to, we're going to focus in on at that chapter as it covers speaking in tongues and kind of covers that. So that's where we are. When you come to the topic of spiritual gifts, you note takers, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, other places, but those are the three kind of um, staples you want to get to. Amen? So let's look at verse number one. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be... Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a dummy. <laughs> don't be a dummy. Listen, no, God, right, via the Holy Spirit, Paul says, we talked about this last week. Just lie if you, in church, it's okay, just lie if you don't. But last week, remember, I said there were six things that the Bible, the New Testament says, where God says he doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning six things. You guys remember that? Okay, so this is one of the six things that he doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning is the spiritual gifts. So listen, my heart today for you, for us, for our church, is for, for the gifts of God's Holy Spirit to become a blessing for you and I. It really is. My heart is to bless my heart is to take this chapter and encourage you with the gifts of the Holy Spirit because there's tons of controversy around them. One of the reasons why there's um, so much ignorance concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit is because of the misabuse of them in churches around the world. I mean, I can remember being a young, young believer and hearing about a thing called the Toronto Blessing. Anybody remember that? Okay. The Toronto Blessing was a movement that was making national news because in these church services, the Holy Spirit was showing up and manifesting itself in all of these, these different kind of ways. One of them was barking like a dog. And, and the Holy Spirit would come upon people and they would begin to bark like a dog. Another one was, and I, I'm, not, I'm not making this up, you look it up. Another one was gold dust 
that would form in your teeth. And as the Holy Spirit came, gold dust would form in your teeth. And all of these things. And in the, in the Toronto blessing that was making national news because people were packing out churches to see these unusual moves of the Holy Spirit, one of the leaders or pastors, would, lightly I call him that, would stand on the stage and he would speak in tongues. And the other guy on the stage, he would go, ha, 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 ha. Nobody understood what they were saying. And then the other guy would begin to speak in a tongue. And this guy on the thing would go, oh! and, then, and, then the, and then holy laughter was manifested in the Toronto Blessing, where when the Holy Spirit came on you, you would laugh uncontrollably. And, and, and that's nonsense, just to sum it up. None of that is, listen, here's the deal. The Bible says all the gifts of the Spirit should be done decently and in order. And if you don't find them in the Bible, they're not of God. Okay, so if somebody says a manifestation of the Spirit is laughing uncontrollably, first of all, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The Holy Spirit doesn't contradict Himself. And if you're out of control, that's not the Holy Spirit because the very fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So laughing, and, and, and the other thing is, you never find an example of gold dust, of barking like a dog, howling at the moon, of telling jokes in tongues, of gold dust and any of this other nonsense that they were doing. But you know what they were doing? They were making money hand over fist. Because they were packing out churches with this nonsense. So, so maybe some people that um, were a part of this, unfortunately what's happened in the church, and, and to some of you, because I, as much, and honestly, I love you, love you, love you, love you, and those that I'm speaking of. I've, I've talked to those that don't want, they think the gifts of the Holy Spirit are weird. And they don't want nothing to do with it. Like, it's, they've had a bad experience in their life. And my heart breaks because that's unfortunately the result of people exercising and doing things demonstratively out of the gifts of the Spirit. So people just say, okay, forget it, I'm out. The, the opposite side of that is this kind of sensationalism of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been in a church and it wasn't quite that crazy. That was a example I gave. But, you know, I attended a church as a teenager with my aunt who led me to Jesus in what... And again, I don't want to stereotype anybody, but this church was a Pentecostal church. That's a term that we use at the denomination of churches who can, and I'm not stereotyping any Pentecostals, but um, in the Pentecostal movement, some of them are very demonstrative in their um, expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so during worship in this particular church that I attended as a young man, they would have flag runners. And, and during the worship, people would run up and down the aisles waving flags and and, and banners, and it was, it, was a, it was a lot of joy. It was so fun. It really was, because you were like rocking, the, you know, you would feel the Holy Spirit, you know, it felt like. And um, one of the things that would happen in this particular church that I attended is um, the, the people would be slain in the Spirit, was the term. And that's where the pastor would lay his hands on their forehead or on them, and they would fall over. And then they would have a team of ushers, because sometimes the ladies would be wearing dresses, and when they fell over in the Holy Spirit, there was a chance that someone would see their underwear. So the, the um, ushers would have these little half-blanket towel things, and as the ladies would go down, they would lay this, this towel over their lap so the Holy Spirit didn't show the rest of the church their underwear. And so maybe you've been a part of this and it was uncomfortable, but again, you don't see slain in the Spirit in the Bible. There's no example. You can't find me an example. If you reach really hard... When, when, the, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus spoke to them, they all fell over by the power of God. Before they arrested him or put hands on him, God just wanted to say, look, you guys aren't arresting me. I'm giving myself freely. And just let me demonstrate. He just couldn't hold that one back. Let me just demonstrate real quick. 
before I let you punch me in the face and put a bag on my head. So I, the whole crowd falls over. You find that Luke's gospel. Then they get up in the scene. The only, only thing, and that's, that's not slain in the spirit. <laughs> that's a little expression of God's power before he let them go on and take him. But um, So anyways, you don't find these things. So the ignorance sometimes that, that Paul warns us of here is found because of the use. Now, on the other side of that, there's many churches that cessationalism, ceasing where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not valid for today. They were only meant for the disciples and meant for the time in the book of Acts. And today they have ceased in its use. So um, we don't believe that. We don't believe in cessationalism. We believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are valid for today, that they're in function, they're in use today. Um, we don't believe in the hypersensationalism of the, of, the, of the gifts of the Spirit. We believe what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, that the gifts of the Spirit should be exercised decently and in order. Now, the cessationalists, again, I don't want to stereotype any kind of denomination or anything, but you do find in certain Baptist denominations that teaching of cessationalism. The gifts are not for today and, and stay away from them. So the Baptists on one very extreme end, Pentecostals on the other extreme end, that makes us, Calvary Chapel, we're Baptocostal. We're not Pentecostal, we're not Baptist, we're kind of right in the middle. And that's kind of where we stand on the gifts of the Spirit. They are valid for today. And they're in use. Now, I want to start really slow. Maybe there's somebody in here and this is completely Chinese and foreign to you. Some of you Bible thumpers, you're going to get bored for a minute because you know all this stuff. But bear with me as I just kind of walk through the basics and from beginning. Um, thump it. Thump it, Damien. Um, so, you know, if your Bible's falling apart, your life is probably not. Yeah. So, first of all, in a nutshell, the... Holy Spirit has um, a ministry. The Holy Spirit is a distinct personality. He's, he's seen in the Bible as an individual. Um, the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How can you... It, it, the Holy Spirit has to be a, a unique entity himself um, in order to be grieved. So we have in the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each one is... They're one. Hero Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is a Echad. The Lord is one. The very, the very mantra of Israel and of, of the Jews to this day, the, the great Shema. So God is one in three persons. One of those personalities and persons and, and works and ministries is the Holy Spirit. And, and the function of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life, um, we're going to see, and we're going to kind of put it into three functions. One of the functions or one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, Jesus told us in John's Gospel. Anybody know what one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit was that Jesus mentioned in John's Gospel? Someone just said it. Well, I, I heard it. To make intercession for us. That's not the one I was looking for, but that is true. Convict of sins, the Bible says. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you of sin. So what the Holy Spirit is doing, maybe you're not a Christian, and, and, and you're hearing a voice, or you have a conscience that, that tells you that, that's calling you to God, that's leading you to God. For me, it was so weird because, I, like, like, like when, when God began to work in my life, and the Holy Spirit began to convict me and call me, and I was a heathen, I was addicted to drugs, I was involved in... Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it'd be like, I would get in my car in this season, right before I got saved, because God's Spirit really began to call me in. Every time I get get in my car, the car in front of me would have a bumper sticker on it that said, Jesus loves you, you know? <laughs> or stuff like this. I mean, and again, this is kind of cheesy, but the, the Holy Spirit was orchestrating all of this. The Holy Spirit was working and calling me. And the Bible says that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That Jesus loves you and he was working in your life. So the Holy Spirit was, was coming alongside me. I didn't invite him into my life. He wasn't the Lord of my life. But he was speaking to me. He was convicting me of sin. I knew what I was doing was going to destroy my life. 
And it had destroyed my life, and I was trying to get out. And the Holy Spirit was coming alongside of me. And then I was alone in my room in this season, because this is just how God worked in my life. I, I had been on a, a, a what we call in the day a binge, and I had been high for a long season of time and not sleeping and completely wrecked. You're like, oh, that's what happened to you. You were wasted when it... Now, I was actually sobered up. I was sobering up. I was coming down. And, and what happens in that season, if, if you've ever experienced any kind of bondage or addiction, is that you, you begin to get very depressed because reality sets in. And one of the reasons why um, many addicts stay high is because it, it's an escape from reality. And as long as you're in that, that drug or that thing or whatever that addiction is, while you're on it, you don't have to face the reality of life. And so you continue to stay that way, and as long as you're that way, you're not facing the reality of life. And so when you come down, um, the, the, the fact that I was a loser and that I was going nowhere and that all the problems in life that I had were beginning to be reality, and I had to face them. And so you don't like to stay there long. Well, I was, I was facing depression. These things would come week after week after week, and I was going through it. And every time I was calling out, I was crying out. And this one particular time, I was alone in my room, and back in those days, I was like, I was... 20 years old, I was playing Sega Genesis, Madden 92, Chicago Bears, uh, who was it, coming off the, the suite every time, but anyways, uh, the TV had to be on channel 3 in order to play your video game, so I, I, I turned the video game off, and my TV was on 3, and I grabbed the remote, and I changed it to 4, and it went to channel 8, and I would never be on channel 8 in L.A. where I grew up. We had 2, 4, 7, 5. 8 was not even a channel. It was like KCT or some weird channel. I don't know. And there was a preacher on there. No, no, nor would I have ever turned it to channel 8, nor would I have ever stopped on a preacher. But the pre- guy was talking, and his name was Dr. Charles Stanley. And it was the beginning of a preaching message. And for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit had me frozen. And all I had to do was push the button one more time. And who knows if I'd be standing here. And then what happened is, like five minutes into it, I'm like, who told this guy about me? How does he know everything about my life? Who are you? You know, like he knew everything I was going through exactly. And then, and then before long, the conviction of the Holy Spirit began to hit. And I began to, you know, I, I began to weep. And, and it was just the Holy Spirit was speaking to my situation perfect. I mean, prophetically. I mean, like somebody wrote my life story and handed it to him and he just preached it to me. And then at the end he said, do you, if, if, if you want to receive Jesus in your life as your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And by this time I'm like, oh, yes, and I'm bawling. And, and I locked my hands like this, and I got out stuck like this somehow. And I, was, and I asked Jesus in my heart. Got saved alone in my room about 24 hours after my, since my last drug use. And, and, and it began a period of life that brought me to where I am today. And, and, and I went through a season I'd like was the last time that I ever involved in those sins of bondage, but it wasn't necessarily that I went through about a six-month period of coming to know Jesus where I was, I was growing and struggling, and it took about six months before I really, God really delivered me from the bondage that I was in, and I didn't go to any kind of rehabs or anything like that. Basically, I just started reading my Bible and focusing on Jesus, and I started walking in the Spirit, and, and eventually one day I look back and I'm like, I haven't done drugs in like six months. Like, I, you know, I just was focused on Jesus, and and Jesus changed my life. And Jesus, at that point, the Holy Spirit, his first job was to come alongside me and convict me. Now I invited him in. Now the second ministry of the Holy Spirit was to come into my life. And so there's three Greek words that we teach. You know, I think, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a Calvary Chapel thing, but I've learned it from all my Calvary Chapel pastors. It's called pada, 
and epi. They're three Greek words that describe very, um, very nicely the three stages or experiences that we find in the Bible with the Holy Spirit. The first one is what I've described as para. Para is a word that means alongside, a Greek word. The second one is en, and Greek word that um, is misspelled from our English word in. Pretty simple. En means in, and that's when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, which happened to me alone in my room at 20 years old. Then um, the way God worked in my life was I needed to get out of this, the, the bedroom and the situation that I was in at the time. Um, my house was kind of the, the gathering place, the party house. I didn't have to go anywhere. Everything came to me. Everybody was always welcome. My, my bedroom window was the door to my house, and my friends would come in and out of it, like whether I was home or not. You know, I might come, be gone and come home and a couple of my friends in the kitchen eating my cereal or whatever, and it was normal. So I had to get out of there, and a kid that I, I, I grew up with became a Christian about a year before I did. Little did I know he was attending a Bible study in Hemet, California, during the same season where the Holy Spirit was coming alongside me, beginning to convict me, and he, he was committing this Bible study on Tuesday nights to pray for me. So when I called him, you know, five months later, and I said, Jay, I asked Jesus in my heart. He wasn't that shocked. He was like, yeah, I know. We've been praying for you. He's like, you need to get out of L.A., man. You need to come live with me. So I move out to Hammett to live with Jay. And he's, he's been a, a Christian about a year longer than I have. And he's walking with the Lord. And uh, we're there. And him and I, I, I get a job out there in Hammett. I get a welding job. I don't know nothing about construction or welding. I grew up with a single mom and no tools. I never fixed nothing in my life. My mom had this um, metal box. It was about this big. And she kept it under her bed. And when you needed a tool in my house, you, you went into this metal box under my mom's bed, and there was one hammer in there. And on the, on the base of the hammer, you could unscrew it, and there'd be like five screwdrivers, different sizes. This is the, the knowledge of tools I grew up with. And then, so I get a job. Anyways, I'm learning to weld. I'm learning to craft. And Jay and I are going to church, a little Calvary Chapel that, that, that him and I are attending, his family was attending. And, um, and during this season, God was doing something um, supernatural in my life. He was waking me up about 5 o'clock in the morning every morning. And I would just, bing! And I'd look at the thing and I'd be like, 5-0-0. Zero, zero. And then the next day, I, I would, whatever, I don't know, I was in bed late, early, whenever, 5 o'clock in the morning, I'd wake up, and I couldn't wait to get to the clock because I knew it would be 5-0-0. Zero, zero, and the Holy Spirit was waking me up, and I was spending time with Jesus in the morning. And, and Jesus was just doing something supernatural. Like, I had a lot of a lot of, lot of room to grow. I needed lots of help. And so God was just really pouring His Spirit out upon me in a way that He really hasn't done since that way. And, and it was during this season where I was growing and I was spending time with Jesus. Well, one of these mornings, 5 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I'm praying and I'm spending time with Jesus and I got the Word of God open and I start going, blah, 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 That's not exactly what I said. Um, I began to speak in tongues. I didn't know what tongues was. Nobody had ever taught me what tongues was. I was loved that, that God gave me a gift of the Holy Spirit this particular way because I've heard of other situations where, you know, it was taught and somebody thought, was that from God or did that pastor just teach me how to do that? And I don't know if it's genuine. And, you know, for me, I knew it was genuine because the Holy Spirit gave it to me alone in my room and I didn't know intellectually what it was before that. And so I began to speak in tongues. Uh, actually, what happened was, more, more specifically, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit alone in my room that, in, in that bedroom in Hammett. And I literally, I felt this literal, like, weight come off my shoulder. And as the power of the Holy Spirit came on me, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for me it was manifested in speaking in tongues. And I, I ran and I busted into Jay's bedroom, you know. 
And I just said, I received the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, you know, I would just told him, you know, there's victory. And it was just such a, an amazing experience how I personally received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the third um, experience that, that we see with the Holy Spirit. Para, Holy Spirit comes alongside. And all of these I'm going to try to demonstrate to you biblically um, in a minute. I'm going to give you my life example. And then I'm going to try to demonstrate them to you biblically. But the Holy Spirit comes alongside Para. Then you invite him in. He comes in. And then... And then the Holy Spirit, Jesus, many times in the, in the Gospels, and hopefully you guys can just attest to this, many times in the Gospels, Jesus promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit with fire, right? Didn't John the, the, um, the Baptist say that I baptize with water, but there's one who's coming after me, and he will baptize you with, with fire. He will baptize you with fire, that when Jesus comes, there'll be another baptism. In John chapter 20, in verse 22, Jesus is post-resurrection. He shows up on the beach with Peter and the boys, and they're fishing. He has a discourse with them. And then Jesus says to them, he, it says in John 20, 22, Jesus breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. These are the boys that have been walking with Jesus for three years. So they received the Holy Spirit. And then in Luke's Gospel, it doesn't record right there, but in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 24, I think in verse 39, Jesus says, go to Jerusalem. So after the resurrection, Peter and the boys, they have kind of a, a lapse of faith and they're, 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 they're bummed out. And Peter doesn't know what else to do. He just says, you know what? One thing I do know well in life is fishing. I'm going fishing. And the boys go with him. They're out there fishing. They catch nothing. They fish all night. And Jesus stands on the shore post-resurrection. Hey, what would you guys catch? Stop making fun of us. You know we didn't catch nothing all night. Well, why don't you throw the net on the other side? What's that going to do? Anyways, they, they throw the net on the other side. They catch so much fish, they don't know what to do with it. Peter gets excited. He realizes it's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore. And Jesus is there cooking fish for him. You want to taste the perfect seasoned fish you've ever eaten in your life? He probably like counted the number of salt granules to make it perfect, right? Because <laughs> it was Jesus cooking the fish. So that's where this exchange happens. Jesus breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait there for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, if when Jesus says to you or I, receive ye the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen to you? You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. If Jesus says that to you, it's going to happen. So if it already happened and they already received the Holy Spirit, why then did he tell them to go to Jerusalem and tarry ye there until the Holy Spirit comes upon you? Because there was yet a third experience that, that Jesus was explaining that, that you and I could experience, that the believers would experience. And on the day of Pentecost, when the, when the Holy Spirit had fully come, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and, Peter began to, and they began to speak in other tongues, and Peter preached by the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people got saved. So the para, alongside, the in, you get saved. When you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. But yet there's one more thing, that third thing, the power of the Holy Spirit, which is described in Acts 1-8, that, that God wants to do in your life. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, That's like the you take a garden hose. And if I had a trash can here and I put a garden hose inside of the trash can and I began to preach, eventually the, the trash can would become full. And then it would begin to overflow and affect the environment around it. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Your life, as it's full of the Holy Spirit, it begins to overflow. And what that baptism of the Holy Spirit is, it's the power to be witnesses, Jesus said. And so you're, you're, you begin to affect the environment that's around you. 
Is your life affecting the environment around you? Is the people around you? Are you sharing the gospel? Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit? We need that, amen? All right, I better stick to my word and demonstrate this through actual scripture. But it's all there. But let, let's, let's walk through it. I'm going to try to do it quickly. Let's start in Luke's gospel in chapter 11. In verse number 9, Luke 11, 9, and it says, uh-oh, it says blurry, blurry, blurry. I can only kind of barely make it out. It's a miracle, bona fide miracle. See, miracles still happen in the form of glasses. All right, it says, you guys there, eleven nine. It says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Here, here's a rock, kid. Go gnaw on that. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to who? How do you get the Holy Spirit? Okay, what, what color are those words you just read off your page? If you have a red letter Bible, those are red letters. What does that mean? That means Jesus is talking. So Jesus is talking about asking, knocking, seeking, and that, and that for those of us who ask, that Jesus will give you the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to John chapter 7, number 37. And again, I'm just uh, 737. I just want to highlight for you that Jesus taught the Holy Spirit. He taught this relationship, this experience with the Holy Spirit, and this promise of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life that's consistent all the way through the Scriptures. And then um, in John 737, it says, On that last day, that great day of the feast, that, that would be the Feast of Tabernacles in this case. Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I don't really have time, but this particular day that this happened in human history, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's at the culmination. There's a big crowd and Jesus stands up in power and he begins to preach. And can you imagine? Jesus is there and he says, he says to this crowd, he, he says, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The Greek there is torrents. Not just a little trickle, torrents. Niagara Falls. What will flow out of your life is a Niagara Falls of living water if you come to Jesus. And then he's going to say exactly what he was talking about. Verse 39. But this he spoke concerning what? The Spirit. Whom those believing in him would receive. Who receives the Holy Spirit? Okay, we already learned those that ask. And number two, those that believe in him. You can, you can ask all you want. If you don't believe in him, you're not going to get it. So those that believe in him and those that ask would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Was the Holy Spirit already given at this point in Jesus' ministry? For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Why? Jesus was not yet glorified. So listen, something would change. The blood of Jesus would change eternity. Jesus' death and defeat of death, sin and death on the cross, when Jesus died and rose again. Jesus said, I'm going to read it for you a minute. You can turn to John 14. That's where I'm going next. Um, Jesus said that, that I'm going to leave, but if I leave, I'm going to send you a helper. You know, so many of us say, man, 
I would be such a better Christian. I could live, if I just had the opportunity to be like one of the disciples or live in the days of Jesus when he was here in the flesh. But hard for you and I to swallow. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you actually, where you sit right now, are in a better position than if you were here when I was in the flesh. Because when I was in the flesh, I couldn't be with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week with all of you at all times. But now that I'm going to, after I die and rise again, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and He's going to live inside of you. Because at this point, while Jesus is in the flesh, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not glorified. So as Jesus died on the cross, do you realize that, that you and I, and Jesus said this, right? This is hard to understand. He says that, that um, John of all the Old Testament, that John was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And then the next part says, but you and I are greater than John. I know you. You ain't anywhere near John the Baptist. That homeboy ate locusts and was like down with Jesus for life. What was Jesus talking about? John the Baptist, who was amazing, he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit like you are. That's the difference. That's why you're greater. Because you have something nobody in the Old Testament had because Jesus hadn't died yet. You know, there's a couple in the Old Testament, but you've got to read it careful. Like um, um, Samson. It says that Samson from birth was full of the Holy Spirit. But if you pay attention to the, the Old Testament saints for 4,000 years of Old Testament history... The Holy Spirit didn't infill them like He does you and I. The Holy Spirit would come upon them. He would, he would empower them for a season or for a ministry or for a gift, but He didn't stay with them. And then there's a few exceptions, like I said. Samson was filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. A couple, couple examples. There, there's kind of this cool verse in, in the Old Testament somewhere, like Chronicles or something, where when they were building the temple, God gave supernatural gifts of, of craftsmanship, of stoneworking, of woodworking, of of artistry. So these guys were, they had like Holy Spirit gift like Jerry Sinner back there has to like fix stuff. You know, like it's a Holy Spirit gift to create. He, he made those, those countertops in our, in our, he never done it before. He just decided, oh, I want to try it. Like epoxy just came out beautiful just because you have that gift, you know. Um, and so God would give supernaturally, but it, they, he would give it and take it. Or I mean, it would be upon them, but not in them. Amen. Did you guys beat me to John 14? Okay, let's look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Listen, let me tell you real quick, parenthetically. This has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit or anything else. Totally separate, all right? Just out of, out of the box. Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. <laughs> if you love me, then, then follow my commandments. Seems kind of harsh. He's like, what? Like, in order to love you? Like, if I love you, i got to just do what you say? Yes. <laughs> all right, I can't preach that, but that's good stuff right there. He's actually going to help you help you do those things. But yeah, the bottom line is you can't be a Christian. You can't claim to be a Christian, a Christ follower. And, you know, and there's no evidence of that, no fruit of that in your life. And, you know, it, the evidence, the fruit of, of being a Christ follower is that you naturally do what Jesus just says, that you're like him. All right, anyways, that has nothing to do with it. Where was I? Verse 16. Thank you. Um, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you. Forever. So listen, this to you and I, we read this and we do, maybe we miss that Jesus is changing human history right here. So for those that were there this day, to them they're like, the Holy Spirit has never done that for 4,000 years. The Holy Spirit has always come upon people and, and, and made appearances, 
but you're saying that the Holy Spirit is now going to abide forever? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm good, huh? And then the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So again, knowing Jesus, having relationship with Jesus, believing in Jesus, and then asking, God's going to give you the Holy Spirit, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be radical. Radical shift right here. He will be in you. This is new. This is the first time. The Old Testament only came upon. Okay? And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So this is, again, these are promises that Jesus made that when he died on a cross and rose again, that he was going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, the, the Comforter. And then look, turn just to page 14. Let's look at verse number 26. John 14, 26. But the Father, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Okay, so, so Jesus says that, you know, again, another function of the Holy Spirit is to remind you, to teach you, and, and so we need the Holy Spirit in our life today. Do you realize that, you know, you and I need the Holy Spirit? As, as Christ's followers, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to live an impossible life? God's called you husbands. This is the one I go to every time. I need to find a different example because this is the only one I have for as long as I've been preaching. I've got to get a better one, but a different one. There's no better. God says this to you husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Jesus give himself for the church, for his bride? He completely humbled himself. He let him put a bag on his head and punch him in the face. He's the God of all creation. He's a star-breathing God who, with the wink of an eye, can turn you into a pillar of salt. It's not a lack of power. And, and yet he, he went to a cross, he died on a cross for his bride. And then he tells you, as husbands, love your wife that way. I'm good, but I ain't no Jesus. <laughs> My wife will attest to that. So it, in essence, it really is an impossible command Apart from one thing, this is what's great about Jesus. This is what's good about Christian living. This is what's different. This is what separates you and I as Christians from every other ism and schism in the world. God doesn't just give you a commandment and then leave you on your own to try to be a good person or a moral person and follow these commandments if you want to please Him. That's what religion does. What God does, what our God does, what our Jesus does, is He spends His whole life in the Gospels promising you and I a helper, a comforter, a Holy Spirit. And then as he gives us some real impossible commands to be moral, to be good, to do these things, he says, but I, and then, then he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit which helps you accomplish this in your life. Do you catch that? He does it through us and in us and for us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will, we just read it, I will not leave you orphans. And unfortunately, so, so many folks, and that's why that, when we sang that song, I want you to know my Jesus. Because there's too many orphans out there who are trying to please God, who are trying to live good lives and, 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 and without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's pharisaical. The power of God, you know, you can't have without the power of God. You can't live a godly life without the power of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in your and my life. The Holy Spirit quickens us. You know, not only does the Holy Spirit 
you know, help you and I, men and women, with these impossible commandments and some of these things in life that are very difficult as Christ followers. But also the Holy Spirit fills in all the gray areas. The Holy Spirit fills in all the silent areas. What does the Bible say about raising kids? It says spank them if you love them. It says that in the Proverbs. But you know what? That's, that's not, it just doesn't mean you beat your kids into submission. Like, you know, sometimes a spanking is appropriate, other times it's not. The same could be the same punishment. But how do you know when it's appropriate and when it's not? Or what age or how it works? You know, I tried as a young, young dad and pastor. I tried to beat my oldest son into submission. It didn't work. And then when I got to my second and my third, I wised up a little bit. And, you know, but the thing was, for every one of my kids, it was so different how I needed to encourage them and discipline them and love them. And, and, I, and the only way I could know was I had to ask God on the moment, in the situation, and let the Holy Spirit guide and lead me. And that's the working, the function of the Holy Spirit, to cover the gray areas, to, to teach me things that, that the Bible's silent on, that doesn't have full manuals on. And, and, and life is full of things, um, you know, and again, don't, don't get me wrong, right? Because we, we, we've, we've keyed in on this idea, too, a couple weeks ago, that, that verse in Peter where the Bible says that the Word of God, the power of God has everything you need for life and godliness. So, so I'm not saying that the Word of God has all these holes, that, but it does have areas that if by design, listen, the, the Bible by design has left some things out so that you would have to rely on the Holy Spirit guiding and leading you to make those decisions on a daily basis. Because they're always different. Amen? All right. Um, okay, John 20. I already quoted it. We're just going to read it to you in case you think I'm a liar. Liar! Princess Bride? Anyone? That old lady? When her husband says, he said to blave, to blave. And she's like, liar! He said true love! Yeah, okay. 20:22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." If you're really fast, Luke 24:49. Not going to wait for you on this one. Luke 24:49. Behold, I send the promise of the Father to upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on high. He had already breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit, and then he sent them to Jerusalem. And what did they do? You guys all seen the movie? They, they went from fishing, and they made the trek through, and they ended up, they were in the Galilee, Sea of Galilee. They had to make it down to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem. They get up to Jerusalem. They wait in, the, in one accord, a little tiny Honda they were waiting for there in Jerusalem. And, and, and on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus died and rose again, um, the, the day of Pentecost had fully come. Acts chapter, eight, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you with me? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a couple pages to your right. But you shall receive power. That word is dynamite or dunamis. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So that, that Greek word really carries that. That's why I emphasize it and I say power because the word is dynamite, dunamis. It means that, that the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you power. But listen, that power is not to shoot fireballs out of your eyes. It's not to zap people, you know. It says right after that what that power is meant for. That power is meant to make you a witness. Not to help you be a witness, because being a witness is, is a manifestation of 
the fact that we are a witness for Jesus Christ. So that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the, the hose in the trash can that overflows, affects its environment, and, and it enables us to tell people about Jesus. Are you really good at, at sharing your faith? Are you really good at evangelizing? And you can really get in there and talk to somebody, and by the time you're done, they just want Jesus, and they just, you know, like, that, that is something that the power of the Holy Spirit does in our lives, that the Holy Spirit gives us. So that's a long setup, I realize that. I'm supposed to be done, and I haven't even covered a verse of 1 Corinthians 10. 12. But I, I just felt again, you know, and, and I kind of said that I, I think it was necessary just to, for some of your benefits, to set up the, the really the, the Holy Spirit and that it's biblical that there is a function for your life and my life of the Holy Spirit. I, in my own heart, I, I get stuck, and, and, and I know everybody's not there, and I, I need to get over it, but I, I get stuck on a few folks who just have the attitude that they don't like the idea of, of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and, and the manifestation and these kind of things because my heart breaks for them. Like, I, we, want, we have to want all that God has for us, right? And, and I think if you understand how biblical and how important it is and, and that it is a, a exactly what God's heart and desire is and necessary for our lives, I just want us to say, I just want all of you to say, God, I want all that you have for me. Whatever that is, like, I just want to be what you want to be. Now, as the Holy Spirit comes, what, what 1 Corinthians 12 is, it's like 1130 right now. Can I go like four, three, four more minutes? Um, 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse number 2. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We've got to get back to that. Verse 4. There are diversities of gifts. Everybody say diversities. Differences of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Look to your neighbor and say, for your profit. Okay, so the, the, there's different manifestations and different gifts, but one Lord. Jesus made this very clear in his ministry of healing and of miracles. One of the most noted miracles in the Bible that Jesus performed was healing blind people. It's recorded multiple times. One time he spit on the mud and he made mud and he put it on the guy's eyes and he told him to go wash. Another time Jesus touched his eyes um, and he was healed. And, and so Jesus did, did, did heal blind people in different ways. Same healing, same spirit, but a diversity. Part of the reason I think why Jesus does things in the Gospels differently, even when, you know, he, when he healed people, well, the lepers, some, one time he would touch a leper and he would heal them. One time, you know, somebody came from afar off and, and said that my daughter is sick, will you come and heal her? And sometimes he would go, he went to where Lazarus was to raise him from the dead with, um, with the sick girl. Jesus, just when the guy got there, he said, go your way, she's healed. He healed her from a distance. And so many different diversities of the same manifestation. And I think if Jesus really kept it to one way, you know, we would think this is the formula for healing, right? So you, you, you'd be out of luck because I'd have a mud bucket up here and I'd spitting in it and rubbing spit mud on your eyes thinking this is the way you heal people. 
But, but Jesus did it differently to say that that's not the way that it works, that there's diversity and that there's, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. And so understanding that there's lots of different gifts. Um, in Romans chapter 12, where there's another place where he's teaching on the gifts, um, Paul makes it very clear that we, we shouldn't think that the gift that God gave us is the only one or the special one, that, that we should honor and, and, and together that these gifts of the Spirit are to come together to edify others. And then he says that the gifts that God has given you, they're, they're, they're not so that you can be powerful or special or you can separate yourself. The gifts are so that you can give them back to the body of Christ. So within the body, we have so many different varying gifts. But if, if you'll use your gifts to serve the body, we're all better for it. You know, my, one of my gifts is a gift of teaching. And it's something that God has supernaturally called me and gifted me to do. And so I share my gift. But if every person in here had the same exact gift that I did, what would we do on Sunday mornings? We'd all stand up and everybody would preach and talk and teach because that's their gift. And nobody, you know, so some people have differing gifts, but the, the gifts are important. The problem that Paul's going to go on and say is that, you know, maybe you're a part of the body like, like a foot. Then you're like, it's dark and damp in here. I don't like being a foot anymore. I want to be on the forehead. You know, and sometimes we have that in the body of Christ. You know, we walk around with feet or toes on our forehead because... We, we, we're not comfortable just having the gifting that God has given us and exercising that gift. And then he goes on and he explains, and I do got to wrap up, unfortunately. Um, but I want you guys to look at him. Hey, do this. Do the finger thing for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them, and you count how many gifts of the Spirit are listed here. Verse number 8 is where it starts. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. How how many of you guys got? Okay, so there's nine gifts that are listed here. How many gifts of the Holy Spirit um, are there? I like it. You guys are like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) I just told you there was nine. Which one did I forget? Um, no, I'm kidding. The, no, the, the true answer is I don't know because um, if you look here, we see nine, very clearly nine. You could go to Romans 12 where Paul's teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. He mentions five others that are not mentioned here. That would give us 14. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, um, there's, there's other gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned that are not mentioned in the other place. It might give us 17. But really, you know, I, I don't think we need to or necessarily have to put a number on how many gifts of the Spirit are. I think we should know what they are or know, you know, within the parameters. But the true answer is we don't really know. We, we do know that there's nine listed here, and there's also nine fruits of the Spirit, which is a different category. Gifts of the Spirit and fruits of the Spirit are a different category. So we'll get into that. All right, got to go so my Sunday school teachers can do it. I hate to stop there, but I'll tell you what. I, I definitely planned on camping a little bit in this section so that's okay that's why i kind of sped us up a little bit we're going to pick up right here where we left off we're going to walk through the first half of 10 verse by verse next week um and and really dissect these what we'll do is we'll go through those nine gifts of the holy spirit and we'll try to identify you know and see them and practice in the bible in our lives maybe try to identify for you and for me what gift do you have you know one of my pastor friends uh they have a spiritual gifts test that they give out in their church, and they, and they try to 
um, you fill out these forms and, and everybody has different spiritual gifts and then they, they, they figure out what your spiritual gifting is and then they try to place you in ministry in those areas. And so um, it's a good idea, but it's, it's definitely a good idea to know what your spiritual gifts are. Many of you just naturally will, will know that and figure that out, but we'll get into that next week. Amen? Please stand with me. Hey, we want to give you an opportunity in here this morning um, to be born again. Maybe the Holy Spirit has para. He has come alongside of you. He's been convicting you. He's been calling you. And you realize the need to become a born again Christian. That's, that's, that's a choice that you make in that second ministry of the Holy Spirit, the EN, where you invite. Jesus said, behold, in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open to me, I will come in and I will dine with you. There's no door handle on the outside of the door where Jesus is knocking. The only handle is on the inside because there's only one way that Jesus comes into your life. And that is if you open the door of your heart and you invite him in. And we want to give you that opportunity today to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to become born again, to have the Holy Spirit in this amazing supernatural gift that Jesus gave us live inside of us. The Bible says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's only a temple of the Holy Spirit if you invite and you receive Jesus in. You realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You repent of your sins. You want to die to your old self. And you want to become a new creation in Christ. If that's you today, I would like to lead you in a prayer to, to receive Jesus in your heart and life. We're going to have um, some, some uh, pastors and leaders up front to pray with you. Worship team, come on up. Let's go ahead and close. Let's do a song. And then um, in the prayer room, if you leave here today and you'd like individual prayer, you want some counseling, you want to talk to somebody, when you leave these doors, you can make a left and there'll be people back there that um, will just, just talk to you and pray over you and give you a Bible if you need it. Or, you know, one of the functions back there is they'll give you my phone number if you want to talk to me or, you know, you've you got something special or some special needs that you have. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray. If you guys would close your eyes and bow your head with me. Um, if, if you're saying this prayer today for the first time or for a recommitment to Christ, then you, you're just basically saying yes to Jesus. And as you say yes to Jesus, he's going to hear you and he's going to know. And, and it's a matter of faith. You know, I said this prayer once as a 13-year-old and I didn't get saved because I wasn't willing to give God all of my heart and everything. He doesn't want no halfway. You have to be willing to give it all, to say to Jesus yes to every part of your life. But if, you, if you're in that position and you're responding to the Holy Spirit, God will absolutely come and change your life right now. And so we're going to pray together. I ask the whole church family to pray. And, 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 if, um, and if this is you, God, God, God will hear your heart, and you will become born again as we pray this prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. I believe that you died on a cross and rose again the third day. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I say yes. I want to be born again. A new creation in Christ. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I would like for you to um, let one of the pastors and leaders know Come up and, and just tell somebody up here you asked Jesus in your heart for the first time or let them know in the prayer room on your way out. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Will you guys uh, come up for prayer, please? I don't see anybody else here. Yes, thank you. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, hey, we're here to pray for you guys.
know we're a little bit over, but if you'd like individual prayer, please come up. And again, if you're more comfortable in the prayer room, as you leave, there'll be folks to pray with you in the, in the prayer room. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.